Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 273 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. And first of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. We'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And we want to mention that this second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever before, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. As I like to say at the start of all our recent podcasts, what a difference another week or two makes, and the big changes just keep rolling along. And as we record on election night, because we couldn't stop ourselves from doing that, we really don't even know what to expect next. In our last episode, we had a fantastic interview guest, Caruana uh, Gadamu, who is the principal PM manager of the customer advocacy group for Microsoft Teams. So any of you wanting to know more about about teams, we'll have to give that episode a listen. In this episode, we go all in on virtual reality and tell you about our early experiences with our new Oculus Quest 2s. We go the extra mile for you, our listeners. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Indeed we do, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will be going all in on the subject of virtual reality and in particular, compare notes on our recent joint purchase of the Oculus Quest 2. In our second segment, we're going to revisit an old topic of ours, or at least kind of old, deep fakes, that's getting a lot more attention these days. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots at one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, Virtual reality and the Oculus Quest 2. We have talked about virtual reality and its cousin augmented reality from time to time on the podcast. And I seem to remember proclaiming on an episode way back that augmented reality was going to provide more value to lawyers in the long run. Then over the past couple of weeks, both of us bought the newest Oculus Quest 2 virtual reality headset. And suddenly, I am not so confident in my earlier proclamation. So we thought we'd share our initial impressions on the Oculus Quest 2 and uh, virtual reality in general for lawyers. Dennis, are you are you thumbs up or thumbs down on VR and the Oculus Quest 2? I am at an OMG on this. I'm totally thumbs up. And uh, when I first tried the, the Oculus Quest and I was just looking around at things to do, I found this National Geographic, this is called like a skin diving ex experience. As I was watching it, there was a, a guy who was skin diving and there were all these fish and things around me. And then this, he pointed behind me and there was a sign that said, look behind you. And I turned to look back and this giant hammerhead shark swam over the top of my head. And I was 
totally sold on on VR. Just a big thumbs up, Tom. How about you? Well, you know, it's funny because I am comparing this to my earlier experiences with VR. Those of you who remember way back and way back being probably three or four or five years ago, my first experience was with something you may have heard called Google Cardboard, which was literally cardboard. And it was a, a make your own VR glasses that were made of cardboard with these glass lenses inside and you would put them to unfold the cardboard to create your lenses and put it together yourself, put the lenses in there, then put your phone in, uh, slide the phone in and use that as your as your headset. And then that gave way to the Google Daydream, which also still used your phone, but it was more like a set of real goggles. You just had to, you strapped your phone in this time. It wasn't made out of cardboard. It was made out of better material. So what was interesting when I put on the Oculus for the first time, it was kind of like I had jumped light years ahead of what I had experienced in the past. I mean, it was nothing like those earlier experiences. And what's amazing to me is how fast this that we've gotten to this point, you know, that this isn't the first the first what I would call high end virtual reality headset. Oculus has put out several more before this, but they were huge. They were big and they relied on plugging into your computer. What I like about this is it's getting it's still big. It's still heavy on the head. It's still not easy to wear, but it's getting smaller. It's getting more compact. It's a lot higher quality than it was before. I, I'm not having to put my phone in there. It's all self-contained. It's a computer. And I've got to tell you, the quality was so much better. It was so realistic. And I think immersive is probably the best word that I could use is you really put those on and you feel like you're immersed in whatever world you happen to be in. Yeah, and and I, I think it is interesting to to look back. I mean, it used to be like these big kind of booth things you could go in at, at malls with these sort of like polygon type of virtual reality, and and then things went through the years. You just reminded me, Tom, for some reason of. Remember, I don't know how many years ago, because uh, my daughter was little at the time, but we were at Disney World, and uh, they had like this, you know, space trip to Mars, you know, quasi-virtual reality experience, and you will remember it because you and Fred Faulkner got really woozy. <laughs> Violently and, uh, ill, and, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes, thank and, you, and, and so there is that kind of, uh, and, and that's what I, uh, what I noticed about the Oculus, is that it is immersive, and then also the experience experience does not there's doesn't feel like there's that big a gap uh between what's happening in the goggles and uh in the real life experience so you have really strong sensations that we'll talk about but i i think that it doesn't feel as artificial it just feels uh yeah i think you're right tom that immersive is just a, a really great word for it so i guess tom we should probably talk about the you know all about the oculus but maybe we should like step back and and look at the at the big picture of of vr and maybe uh, where we see the potential right now and and then maybe local uh, is that to, to law. So do you want to take a stab at that? I think clearly the consumer potential for VR is around entertainment. And so that's gaming, that's movies, that's 
museum, visiting museums and things like that. It's being able to escape while putting that on and getting away to another place and having a recreational activity, whether you're playing a game or you're visiting someplace you haven't been able to visit before. And that's where I see the consumer true consumer value of of a virtual reality being but if we talk about business if we talk about others you know i see things like training is a huge issue i've seen cases where they're putting vr headsets on doctors to help them perform medical procedures they're putting them on soldiers to help uh, out in the field and help them adjust to difficult situations and see things it's also being used on those same soldiers who may come back who had post-traumatic stress disorder, where it helps them kind of relive the situation in a way that they can gain control over and address their trauma in a way that's therapeutic to them. I see uh, sports training, being able to actually participate in sports without totally hurting yourself or putting yourself out there to do things. I've seen where engineers are using virtual reality to do engineering design review. You can look around all all parts of a of, of a structure or of an automobile or whatever and I've, I've I've seen them talk about things that they can see the design issues happening better than if you were looking at a CAD drawing or some other computer generated drawing or or, or or recreation of whatever it is they're looking at so I think that that frankly I think the sky's the limit and you can have lots of things that that you would normally have to spend a lot of money trying to recreate it in real life, you can now recreate it in virtual reality for less money and realize the same or similar benefit. Yeah, I, it's, I think there was this notion, and I'll talk about, uh, more about it, I think, when we go to the, the potential impact on, on the legal profession of, of what I would call rehearsal, so that you can say, oh, I'm looking at, uh, like, I looked at this thing of mountain climbing today, and I could see, like, oh, if I could kind of take a walkthrough that's very realistic before I do something that that can help me by rehearsing it. So almost better than visualization. I think there's definitely this a lot of effort going on in entertainment in sports these days. So how how do we improve the sports uh, watching experience? Uh, so how can if I'm watching it at home, how can I have a more uh, an experience that uh, better reflects what it would be to li- be live and in person at an event? Same thing in entertainment. So if I could go, you know, to a concert and get, uh, you know, a a near realistic performance from uh, essentially the virtual seat that I wanted from, that has a lot of value. Potentially, uh, I could shift seats, shift views, uh, you know, during an event. And then I think uh, in in training uh, of almost every type, I mean, I could see just, you know, learning how to use this device of how to pick things up and how to hit essentially a ping pong ball and, you know, fly a drone and other things like that. I can see some really interesting uh, ways to do, uh, you know, training and uh, the may have a lot more application, you know, in in what we call the uh, COVID times or the work from home days, um, as we kind of take different approaches to workplaces and and how we do things. But 
Let's localize it a bit to to Loa, Tom, and I'll ask you first because I, I I sort of see most of the applications in the world of litigation, which is kind of the area that you came from. Is is that your sense where we'll see uh, the early developments? Well, I think it's one area for them. I mean, I I I think it's one that makes a lot of sense because. One of the purposes of litigation, and, and let's not even talk about civil litigation, we can talk about criminal cases too, is to tell a story, is that you're having to recreate something that happened in the past that's leading everyone to be here today in this courtroom. And, you know, whether that was, you know, a crime that was committed, or whether that was um, an automobile accident, or a building, a construction f- building failure, and the building fell down. Being able to put the jury in the position of what it was like when that happened is an incredibly powerful alternative to just having, you know, even, even you know, it was year, a couple of years ago when we were saying, oh, wow, now they're doing computer-generated simulations of what that building looked like, or here's our computer-generated uh, car crashing into the other car. And um, yeah, that was cool for the time, but this is like being there and being able to see it. And I, I think those things are... To me, where huge value is, but I think that there are other things, and I know you're going to want to talk. I'm probably going to going to not step on your toes here. You're probably going to talk about law school and 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 good experiences with that. But I have seen and read lots of articles about using more and more virtual reality in law schools and helping law students out with things. That to me is another big area. But I also see big use for this in terms of training and preparation of not only lawyers, but also clients. So um, having, uh, I know that the San Francisco Bar has a virtual reality program to train lawyers for their pro bono program. And you put on virtual reality headset and you have somebody lead you around the court courthouse to tell you how to do pro bono work. I, I was listening to a podcast last week where an attorney was talking about how he has set up a virtual reality tool that allows him to show his clients what the inside of a courtroom looks like so that when they go in there, they're familiar with it. It's not new. They're not star they know what to expect. They know where to go sit. Um, none of it is surprising to them, and that helps with their nerves. It helps them feel more accustomed to it. I think that's a great idea. But I think that the main thing around the main thing around virtual reality that makes it powerful for lawyers is it's going to help them tell better stories, and that's part of what a lawyer does, mostly in litigation. But I would not limit it to litigation. I mean, I think there's a lot of other places where this might be um, valuable for lawyers to tell the story that they need to tell. For their client. Yeah, so somebody told me uh, of an example in the UK where they took the information they all the information they had about a car accident where there was one witness who happened to see it outside the you know looking through their window of their house. And they were able to get all the data about weather, the car speeds, you know, sort of the car black box data, as I understand it. And then um, they could get the the view of the witness and then recreate that in virtual reality. So you could see basically what 
had to have happened based on the data you had and the uh, the witness testimony, which seemed like a really cool use. And I believe uh, my recollection of what they told me was the case settled once they once they were able to put that together because it was clear what had to have happened. So that's interesting. And then, as you said, there, I, Tom, I, there's a couple things where you go like, oh, I imagine as like a young lawyer, like as a brand new lawyer, and the first time I went over to the courthouse and they just trying to find my way around, you know, if you could like just get a uh, virtual reality tour before you went over there, you'd be a lot more confident. And this is what, when I talked to people about education and I talked about, you know, rehearsal, practice, training, those sorts of things, what they find is that your practice is qualitatively better and that people get more comfortable, more confident and do better more quickly. So so think about this. Say that you actually were arguing a, a case uh, before the Supreme Court. If you could, uh, in virtual reality, just put on the goggles and be in the actual courtroom and maybe even have the Supreme Court justices in you know 3D form sitting there as you practice, I just think it would make you way more confident and comfortable in there. So it's almost like we're just uh, kind of just opening the door just a little bit to the to the potential. So I see in the, the script, Tom, I, what I had next is what excites Dennis and what excites Tom. And I, I sort of feel like what excites Dennis is like almost everything because just in a couple of weeks of playing with this, and then I was thinking about it before I got the Oculus, but I just think there's a, a ton of potential in some some really interesting ways that I can't wait to dig in on. Well, I think so too. And 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 what excites me, um, there's really two things about it that that have me, well, aside from just the potential of everything that it does is exciting. Um, to me, um, the two things that are particularly exciting is one, how much smaller and mobile it is than past versions. It's, and, and I can only imagine, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the day when I can put on just a pair of glasses and that's my VR headset and it's all built into the glasses. Now I think we're a long way away from that, but I mean, compared to what these were four, th- two or three years ago, they're already smaller. I'm also very interested to see what a 5G headset might look like, that when we get to kind of mobile, super high speeds, whether that would allow us to go out and do things and, 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 and make it really fast and be able to download data the right way. So I'm, I'm excited about more. I'm really more, ex- I'm excited one about the potential that it has now, but I'm really excited about the potential for the future because if they've made this much progress in a year or two, just imagine what it's going to look like in a further year or two or three from now. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the Oculus Quest 2, which just came out. I and maybe compare some notes on our experience. I thought that this setup was was not as maybe Apple-like as I might hope. Uh, so it, it took a little while and there were some adjustments and some downloading and, you know, figuring out the controls and things. Uh, so it took a little while to, to set it up. But, you know, once I got it put together and, you know, charged up, and, you know, uh, one issue that I don't know whether you'll dig into deeper, but there has been some reservation because to use the Oculus, you have to have a Facebook account and, and use it. There are some concerns about privacy on that for, for good reason. So people will need to think about that. And that may, I, I, fr- frankly, I could see it limiting uh, some of the uses that people would do if it were uh 
a totally private zone. But so there is some setup and some other things. Um, and some of that is cool. There's kind of this AR uh, augmented reality experience when you set it up because you define a safe zone, both a standing zone and a sitting zone in your room so you don't walk into things or or hit things and and you kind of like touch the ground so it knows where the floor is and then you you kind of draw a circle on the floor and you're looking you know through the glasses to see your see your floor and and that's kind of cool but once once you have that set up then and figure out how to use the controllers it's pretty straightforward your experience and there's like a nice training application that they they point you to to help you learn some a few skills so was was that basically your your experience too Did- yeah well my my setup i think was i thought it was actually i i i don't compare everything to apple like you do but i um i i thought it was pretty simple and pretty straightforward to set things up i am and i'm probably going to get killed by all of our friends who are into privacy but i don't mind that i'm connected to a facebook account because i'm using this for entertainment purposes and they know that i'm watching Netflix and they know that I'm playing a shoot 'em up zombie game and they knew that I'm getting on a roller coaster on VR and none of that really concerns me too much. So I'm not that's you know for what I'm using this for now for for using it the privacy implications don't really concern me too much. I will say that once it all got set up that introduction showing you how to do things how to grab things how to you know it has you it has you put a a rocket in one hand and pull a string and the rocket just rockets out of your hand and goes up and explodes in the air and and then uh, and then it's got a punching bag to the side and if you punch it and and it goes out and it comes towards you and you literally want to get out of the way because it's coming straight to your towards your face and you think that it's going to hit you i mean it's so realistic even though it is clearly an animated ball but it is the the just frankly that won me over the whole introductory course got me so totally excited about the possibility and all the cool stuff that it could do i thought if the if the intro is this cool just imagine what all the games are going to be like and i would say for the most part that was right i think that some games and some apps that i've downloaded so far have been better than others but i think my experience so far has been pretty good yeah, I, what I noticed and was kind of interesting in the training was when I was throwing things and, and learning how to hit things, there's like a ping pong ball thing, is that I'm left-handed, but there's a lot of sports skills that I was taught to do and do right-handed. But I was in that training, I was kind of throwing equally well with both my left hand and my right hand. You know, it was just it was kind of a kind of a cool phenomenon. And there is this realistic feel that I think will surprise you even on some simple things. There's also historically, as we alluded to, sometimes that little bit of out of phase between what you're used to and what you're seeing um, in the the virtual world has has uh, caused people to get a, a little bit of nausea or sometimes more than that. So they advise you, and they actually do a good job of rating things to say, oh, this is sort of like a moderate experience. And they kind of tell you, don't go for the roller coasters and, and you know, uh, those things. is the first thing that you kind of work your way up to it. And, and I would agree with that because, like we said, it's immersive and the sensations you get are very similar to what you have in real life. So if, uh, if uh, fear of heights is a concern, you will... It 
experience that same sensation. The good thing is that you might be able to train yourself uh, to get better with the fear of heights. So lots of cool things. The one thing I haven't tried, Tom, and I know that you reached out to me once is is uh, connecting to others who are using the Oculus. Do you have any insights on that? So no, I haven't, and 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 I'm interested in doing it. But I what I need to go back and figure out when when you first boot up the Oculus, it gives you a list of everybody on Facebook who has an Oculus account. So I'm assuming that those people also have an Oculus headset as well. I connected to you. Did you get my connection? I got the request, but I was doing something else, so and I didn't respond to it. And you just ignored my yeah. request. All right. Yes. Well, we'll deal with we'll we'll deal with that offline. Um, but but I I I missed that screen, and now I can't get back to it. So I don't know how to connect with people. But I want to. I mean, the ways that I see, there are apps where you can go in and ch- just chat with people and talk to them, and there are apps where you can play games together with people and do things. And so I'm intrigued about the ability to share that virtual world with other people. But I will say that, you know, this is one area that I think that law schools could could potentially improve on is, you know, we used to talk about being in Second Life a long time ago and going into these virtual worlds and having an avatar. Well, how is this so very different? And could there be a VR law school class? And we all sit around and talk about things uh, in your innovation class with your students and talk about it all sitting in VR and doing those sorts of things. So I'm very intrigued about connecting with people. There are, I, I know that there are some places on there where you can go and join kind of battle royale games where you can go in and and play against total strangers i'm not that kind of guy or that kind of user of the virtual reality but i am i am definitely going to take a look into it because i think you know there's a social aspect to it that you at least need to explore and see whether it's worth looking at so let's talk a couple of specific things and i, I wanted to mention cost so the cost is uh to me like super affordable for this type of thing given what the technology is it's actually kind of amazing so 299 for uh, the 64 gig and when it's like 399 or for the 399 for the 256 gig that's right so i did the studies and i think if you're like a serious gamer or movie person who likes to download and store things, then that's where the 256 uh, makes sense for the rest of us. I went with the 64 and I put an extra $50 into uh, the upgraded. The strap, the the elite, the elite strap, yeah. which, uh, which by the way, and even though you put the money into it and I bought one too, before you go and buy a strap folks, take a look and see they're, they're, they put a delay on it because they've come up with some issues. So we're, we're just being good, good reporters here saying that, that, uh, that there may be a delay on getting those straps, but I'm waiting for mine patiently because Dennis says it makes it so much more comfortable. It is, is really awesome because you're able to kind of, if you're familiar with cycling helmets where you can kind of uh, turn them and to tighten the strap in the back it's the same sort of uh, same sort of approach and so by doing that you get a better fit and it takes a lot of weight uh, kind of redistributes 
reduce the weight of the goggles so they're not as heavy on your face. So that's really nice. And then the other question I had for people, and I've satisfied, both of us have satisfied ourselves on this, is this works if you wear glasses, and there also is an extra spacer that they give you to give you even a little bit more room for glasses. I will say, though, even though I have the spacer, it is hard for me. That is one challenge that I have is putting it on and off without messing with my glasses. And since I have progressive lenses, that's one thing that I need to get used to is it's hard to keep focused. I, I'm, I'm hoping the strap, the elite strap will help out. It's hard to keep focused looking through the bottom because you have to look through the bottom of your lenses. It's it's more of a close-up thing that you're looking at. So it's kind of hard with progressive lenses seeing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm making it work. Yeah, so I, and it's like one of those things where you can imagine Getting so far into this, you just decide to have the, the laser surgery on your eyes just to <laughs> the virtual reality. <laughs> well, like let's the, not go crazy. It's like it's kind of this, one of those weird things. And then I would guess we kind of talked about tips and advice. So I, I will talk about the things that I've done that I like. So I like the travel and experiential thing. So I've lifted off in a balloon to go up in the air. Uh, that's really fun. I've uh, kind of taken a tour of, of Paris. I've, uh, you know, been with guys surfing uh, these big waves off of Tahiti. I was uh, flying with the Blue Angels. I was on a roller coaster, I think it was at Disney World, and had that experience all just to get information for you, uh, our listeners. And then I did this, uh, I think this is on YouTube. It was a, an immersion video of mountain climbing. And I I was on the Matterhorn. Really amazing, but it is steep when you look there. And so if you have fear of heights, it will uh, it will definitely uh, make you a little uneasy. But it's cool, and it will let you, you know, for me, it let me know that it, uh, not that I would be able to, to uh, climb mountains these days, but lets me know that I can have that experience and don't have to do it in, in real life. Uh, I can just do it nice and safely. So I don't know, Tom, if you want to hit a few li- highlights of what you've done. I mean, I'm sort of doing the same thing right now because there's lots of games that you can play. And and I found a game where I've got to pull up a gun. There's all these red people coming at me. And I've got to, if I've got a gun in front of me, I have to shoot them. If I don't have a gun, I have to hit them and break them apart. If I fail, then it starts all over again and I have to start again. And I, it's very anxiety inducing because I will get, I have three guys coming from me uh, from all three sides and I'll get rid of them and I'm so excited and then I turn around and there was someone behind me the whole time coming up upon me and I'm I'm dead and I have to start all over again so incredibly <laughs> realistic um, and 15 minutes and I was in a complete sweat so actually a good workout too um, I will say that I hate roller coasters and uh, I downloaded the roller coaster app and I still hate roller coasters because I got motion sick on that on the first time that I did it but I will say it's an amazing experience to be able to get motion sick while you're standing completely still in your living room is amazing to me. The technology is doing something right if it can make you feel like you're on a roller coaster when you're just standing in the middle of your living room to me is something to behold. And I'm a big roller coaster person, but I would definitely recommend that you work your way up to the roller coaster 
type of apps. Well, the, um, the, the app actually has a, a helmet. It says, wear this virtual helmet. And apparently <laughs> it like limits your field of vision somewhat. So if you get motion sick, wear this helmet. And the helmet didn't really help. It just did. Um, I still didn't feel good. So Well, you always have the close your eyes option as yep. you do in real life roller coasters. So anyway, we've kind of taken a, a look at our crystal ball for the, the legal profession. So I, I think that we're already seeing some applications. This The associate training, you know, Tom, your idea of uh, uh, preferring clients for depositions and for court appearances, I think is such a cool idea. I really see the benefit of that. And then I'll go back to your, your point, which I think is probably the main point people should take uh, from this podcast is that this is like a new way to really tell stories effectively in an experiential way that opens up a world of opportunity. And I guess before I, I let you wrap up, Tom, I, I just want to say that I'm starting to think in terms of teaching that potentially doing a, a VR and law online event at Michigan State in the spring, and then um, maybe even developing a, a VR and law kind of survey course in the same way that we've, you know, if you've seen AI and law, blockchain and law, that sort of thing. Because I, I just see lots of potential and as the approach we take to things being more online, doing less things in person, or fewer things in person, that this is going to open up some things in the cost. And the, as Tom says, the big jump up in technology is, is, is just opening all kinds of doors uh, for me. Well, I think as with all technologies that are relatively new to lawyers, this is going to take some time to catch on. I think that there are some lawyers and firms and law schools that are getting that are already ahead of the curve and are doing that. But I think that it'll be very interesting to see what happens when uh, more mainstream lawyers start to see the value of it. And so I'm I'm interested to see where this goes. And I I really do think that it's going to be some of these smaller law firms and the law schools that take the lead on what's going on. So we'll. Uh, uh, we'll revisit this back here in probably a couple of months and see how we're both doing on our Oculus adventures and how the rest of the world is doing in VR. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Lots of interest and concern about deep fakes lately, uh, especially as we record on election night. 
We talked about deepfakes extensively in episode 238 in June uh, 2019, and, and I think we've mentioned it at, at different uh, different times uh, in different podcasts. So, Tom, I think there's been, a, a, for, I guess, let me just ask this. Has there been a quantum leap in deepfakes in the last year, both you know, photos and video in the last year, year and a half or so? Are, are we about where we expected we might be when we did? the podcast uh, in 2019. So I'm going to start out by talking about fiction, or I'm at least I'm hoping it's fiction, by talking about a series that we just finished watching on TV called The Capture. It's a British TV show, and it presupposes that the major intelligence agencies have found a way to catch terrorists, essentially by faking video of them committing crimes. And they will, they call it a correction, where they splice stuff into video, where they use deepfakes to make it appear as if they're doing something, these terrorists are doing something that, you know, the, the, the intelligence services say, well, we knew they're going to do it. We just need to have the evidence to prove it, which to me is truly terrifying if the, if the technology gets there. I would think right now in real life, I don't think that we're there. I don't think that the quantum leap is there, at least in terms of its use or if it's being used. We're being totally faked out by it. But I will say there are a couple of examples that I think are interesting that have come up recently. One, there's a, um, I believe it's on Netflix, there's a, a, a documentary called Welcome to Chechnya, which talks about LGBTQ people in Chechnya. And in order to protect their identities, because they would be in danger of losing their lives um, if they came out on this movie is that volunteers um, agreed to assume their identities in the video. So they put, they superimposed these volunteer faces on the, the real people in Chechnya. So I think that's a positive example of how the deep fake technology is being used. More recently with politics, um, if you've read, they talked the, the latest story about the Hunter Biden laptop had a fake report going out that was allegedly authored by a security analyst who also did not exist. And they had a picture of this analyst, which was created using artificial intelligence. So the whole thing was completely manufactured. None of it existed. I see that Facebook is announcing a ban on manipulated videos and images, which shows how seriously they take it. Microsoft and Facebook both are working on software to tell when images or videos have been faked. So they're, they're improving deep fake detection. But the reason why I don't think there's a quantum leap in this is that there are still easier ways of deceiving people that are working so well. Selective editing is huge these days. Taking a video, taking it out of context, editing it so it only shows what you want to show, and then outright lies about real images are still working really well. Why do you need to create a fake? So I would say they're getting smarter. The tech to combat it is also getting smarter. So far, it doesn't look like it's causing too uh, much harm unless, like I said, unless it really is and we just don't know because we've been faked out. Yeah, I, I sort of think that we're, with maybe one or two exceptions, we're about where we would expect to, to I, I think if if we went back a year and a half and predicted that we wouldn't be too surprised by what we're seeing, but that doesn't mean it's good because uh, I think we were concerned about these things. But yeah, we are at the point where you're not sure that you can trust any photo because of Photoshop that, as you said, uh, it could be the the camera angles, zoom lenses, selective editing. We're not really sure that we can trust what we see. And then voice detection can be a, a 
you know, hard. But so what I've what I've heard people say lately who are in this uh, area, and especially in uh, I was talking to somebody in the entertainment field who was sort of jokingly say saying that he didn't like to put any pictures of himself or any video of himself, you know, that somebody just solicited from him. You know, like see what you look like if you're older. That those kinds of things because he was certain that his face and perhaps his body would turn up in in some uh you know porn video uh you know <laughs> as a deep fake and then th- the other thing that's kind of surprising is where the deep fakes have gotten really good is on voice so being able to imitate someone's voice is apparently something that can be done really well and there's starting to be concern about that because it's it's so good so i think there's a lot of ways we can be fooled and we see it every day but this is one of these areas where I think if if you're a lawyer, especially if you're relying on any kind of photo, video, or even audio evidence, you, you need to be aware of what's out there and uh, what can be done. And then I also think I, I agree with the guy who's kind of fearful about sharing your image to with people that who where you, where you really don't know how it's going to be used because you don't know how it's it's uh, going to uh, or where it's going to turn up at. So, Tom, it's time for that uh, our parting shots at one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So in addition to my recent purchase of the Oculus Quest, the other purchase, I actually made this purchase maybe six months ago, and it took that long to get to me. I made no secret on this podcast in the past that I have been looking for better ways to take written notes when I need to have paper. We've talked about the rocket book and how we like the idea of the paper that you can just erase and have permanent paper forever. Um, I kind of got tired of that because the, the pens didn't really work the way that I expected or wanted them to work. And so now I'm hoping and thinking that I have found my solution, and it is the Remarkable 2 tablet. It is a small, very small e-ink tablet that literally feels like I am I'm writing on a piece of paper. I when I write on it, I can choose whether I'm doing a ballpoint pen or a pencil or a fountain pen and it will show it'll it'll let me write in all of those different ways. There is a paintbrush too if I wanted to do some level of painting that's on there. But what's nice about it that's different from say writing on your iPad or something like that is is that I can put my hands all over it and it won't show any marks. But whereas if you try to do that on an iPad, you'll get smudges and stuff from your palm or from other places because the apps just aren't great enough to not recognize when you're trying to write and when your rest of your hand is on your tablet. This is literally like putting your hand on a piece of paper and the only time that something comes away is when you're writing on it with the stylus. What I also like about it is it can transcribe all of your text into or in, all of your handwriting into text and is extremely good at doing it. I don't have great handwriting and it has a very good handwriting recognition. Um, so you can do that and then share it with the app that you want to share it with, whatever note taking or other app that you might want to save it into. And we'll be talking about that more in an upcoming podcast. You can then send it to that app. So I am. Over the over the moon, head over heels in love with this thing so far. I've had it for about a week. I'm using it as much as I can. I think it's a great way for people who want to write and want an electronic way of writing. It is one more gadget, but it's one gadget that I'm going to at least stick with for the time being. 
So I have two very fast questions for you, Tom. Uh, so what's the size of this uh, paper size and what's the cost? Do I have to answer both of those questions? Um, the, si- the, the size is actually <laughs> sort of like paper sized. I mean, it looks it's it's like eight and a half by eleven. Let's see. It is. I'm trying to see here what the exact specs are, but it, it's 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 it, it's about like an eight and a half by eleven size piece of paper. Now, this actually says that the screen is seven point four by nine by six inches, so a little bit smaller than eight and a half by eleven. It is three hundred and ninety nine dollars. So it's not cheap, but it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's not cheap. And I will tell you, it took six months because either their production is not the best in the world or they have so much demand that they keep running out because that's how long it took for me to get in their queue to get something delivered. And then my second question is, did you find the holy grail for left-handers that we can have the fountain pen experience without smushing our hands? I, yes, that would be it. I'm not going to use the fountain pen option on here, but yes, I can actually write as if I have a fountain pen and I don't get anything on my left-hand uh, side of my hand. Yep. So I, I have a quick parting shot, and it's a preview, special preview for listeners of the podcast, or at least it will be for a, a couple of days. So I'm uh, doing a new thing that's called Exponential Legal. And the idea here is that a group of us are creating a comprehensive course, online course, to teach all the innovation skills that today's innovative lawyer would need uh, with the goal of allowing you to kind of double and quadruple what you're able to accomplish and, and in fact, as they say, become exponential. So you can get a, a look at it. Uh, we'll do a, a early version of the course, a special price to kind of so we can we can learn as we go to to make it work and make improvements. So lower price, we'd like to get feedback from you, and you can get the information at uh, exponential.legal. So www.exponential.legal, and uh, take a look. L- let me know what you think. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we remember we still like to get questions for our B segment. Please reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or leave us a voicemail. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>